Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Proudly celebrating 15 years, here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders in rolling out 5G strategies and technologies. With me on today's show are Frank Konesny, Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Air Force, Lieutenant Colonel Brandon Newell, Director of SoCal Tech Bridge, Naval X Department of the Navy, Robert Costello, Executive Director, Enterprise Networks and Technology Support Directorate at U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Sam Navarro, Director of Customs Engagement, Customer Engagement Division, Information Technology Category at GSA, Morgan Kirk, Chief Technology Officer at Comscope, Randall Eastman, Department of Defense, Public Sector Verizon, and Stephen Douglas, Head of 5G Strategy at Spirant Technologies. Well, this certainly is a promising technology to enable the warfighter, to enable the frontline officers, uh, quite frankly, to, to enable all the departments and agencies and every citizen across this country. Uh, so let's get right into it. Frank, can you give us a state of the state of where the Air Force is with 5G? Well, we have several initiatives going on right now. Uh, let's take the first one. The first one is how we're going to bring LTE 5G to all the bases in the Air Force. We've already started by clumping the bases together into various regions. We have the Southeast already awarded as 10 bases in the Southeast. And we did this in a way so that the return on investment for the vendor would be very good. It's a 25 year lease. So something that we don't normally have, normally it's five years. And, we, and we're grouping together bases with low density as well as bases with high density. They give us them a better viewpoint of how they can get a return on investment. So we've done this for the 10 bases in the Southeast. We're trying to do 20 bases in the Northwest, except COVID is preventing us from actually doing this because you can't do base visits until we actually release that. So until that happens, we're going to do that. And then we're supposed to do another, supposed to do Hawaii and Alaska directly at the same time. And then we'll do the rest of the United States. But that's just you know the tip of the iceberg. We're doing various experiments with OSD. Uh, first one is Hill Air Force Base, shared spectrum. Now I've heard in the news, everybody wants to use the spectrum, especially the, the three gigahertz range. That is somewhere where also we have various uh, airplane radars actually working. And so we're trying to figure out a best way to actually do this, how to check me actually share the spectrum instead of just licensing it off. And same with the, you know, the, the mid-range analysis that was being done, done for some of the other airplanes. We're actually doing this part of it at Hill to actually look at how can we actually effectively do this. Also, uh, this also, we just awarded another one for Tinker to do the same thing, except it's going to be a different spectrum. It's going to be more commercial oriented. How can we share with commercial exactly what we want to do? Now, that's interesting, but we also have another one that's Nellis, which is very interesting. If you know the Air Operations Command is basically a set of systems that they do the air operation orders from. All right. What they want to be able to do now is to look at it in the viewpoint of how can I make this mobile? How can I segment it out, add new user interfaces to it, and actually segment it out across a range across various areas? So that moving target is hard to hit, but a stationary one is very easy. So how can you do this with 5G? 5G meaning you know network slicing, as well as probably some sat links, as well as some other things, some new technologies, as well as change the user interface into something that we've always seen in the movies, you know virtual, you know, and also, you know, visuals, as well as motions, as well as voice. So that, that's going to be an interesting little concept that they're actually going to produce out. 
And then, I'm, I'm blown away by so much technology, so much 5G technology that's been rolled out across the Air Force. And yeah. uh, this constellation of, of sort of technologies that come together to make 5G, it's, it's really impressive. Well, we're trying hard. I and mean, it's going to be it's going to be a couple of years before we get there, there. But, you know, it's it's the plan. Also, we're doing some things at Hickam for aircraft maintenance, predictive analysis, getting the logistics, you know, there, get the parts to the aircraft maintenance people, as well as do you know, AR, VR capabilities. And lastly, we're doing some open RAN experiments out of San Antonio. So it's, it's been very busy and not telemedicine also with the Army. But wow, it's, you know, and it's just a, a great example of how this technology enables so many things to happen. Uh, let's jump over to Lieutenant Colonel Brandon Newell. Uh, first of all, tell us what, what is TechBridge Naval X? What is that? What do you all do there? And then, of course, tell us how you all are enabling 5G technology in the, uh, in the Navy. Thanks. I'm the director of the SoCal Tech Bridge, which is under NavalX. NavalX is the innovation arm of the Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Research, Development, and Acquisitions, Hondo Gertz. And so our job is to be the super connector to create non-traditional partnerships that unlock the future of emerging technology. And we're very excited about what we're doing in 5G. You know, just three weeks ago, we turned on the first 5G network on a military installation here at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar um, near San Diego, California. Uh, 5G Living Lab is really built upon a foundation of 4G LTE macros, uh, which we all are, are used to in our coverage. Uh, but now we've installed the first 5G small cells uh, on an installation. And so as you see uh, small cell coverage with their high bandwidth, low latency capability on top of uh, the typical 4G LTE coverage. We're, we're prepared to do a number of pilots this year um, in, a, in four different categories from energy communications to connected vehicles to drones and what we call the digital fortress, which is our vision of the future of protection of a base that complements the physical fortresses we've built today. And so we're very excited about what we've built with Verizon through a collaborative research and development agreement. It's a four-year agreement that facilitates the piloting, the prototyping, and the requirements development we need. And really what it does is it, it creates a, it improves our position of knowledge, both from the technology and the concept of employment of how we leverage 5G. What we know is that 5G is not about my cell phone working better. Uh, off hours. It's really about an unlock to many, many markets. And so we picked those four areas of capability uh, to really explore and understand how it's transforming those markets. Fantastic. It's really, you know, accelerated movement of sort of out of the Petri dish, out of the lab uh, into, uh, you know, a prototype into the operator's hands. It uh, sounds like super exciting and a lot of different uh, capabilities there. Robert, how about over at CBP? You guys have a unique situation. You're in all of the major sort of Super Bowl cities, if you will, uh, major cities across the country, but then you're all across the borders, uh, CONUS and OCONUS. So you've got some real massive requirements there. Yeah, thank you, Luke. It, it's definitely been a challenge and we've definitely adjusted this year as COVID-19 has changed our, our operations a little bit. So we, we do have a lot of 5G initiatives going on. Some of them will be the, the traditional on the belt as we look to uh, expand the, our mobile capabilities uh, across the board for our operators. Uh, some of it is on autonomous surveillance. 
We're doing some really great work down on the southern border with the commissioner's innovation team with autonomous surveillance towers. And we really see that 5G is going to allow us to have some great capabilities to, to bring that data back in low latency and do some processing on the edge. Some of our other uh, initiatives revolve around Wi-Fi 6 as well, which is a complementary technology to 5G. So I really view 5G as the outside, Wi-Fi 6 on the inside. So we really want to have this seamless operation as our operators move from the field into a vehicle, into a facility, and back out. And, and I absolutely think that 4G is still a complementary in technology that will be with us for a long time. So we're doing a lot of work in the 4G area as well, uh, installing uh, backup capabilities at our fixed sites. Uh, and that's been a, an amazing uh, capability that we've rolled out to, to well over 200 critical CBP sites that when their, their uh, terrestrial lines are cut, they can still operate, which is absolutely critical. Uh, we're doing a lot of work on in-vehicle or uh, in-truck in capabilities on our mobile surveillance platforms, our mobile processing platforms, our, our border patrol and field operations vehicles, and then we're doing some work on our LMR network. How can we integrate these technologies across the board? And I think 5G will play a role in that as well. Uh, the other thing that we're doing really well is planning, planning, planning on IoT. We, we really see that IoT is gonna explode as 5G rolls out, and we absolutely have to have a good security in place uh, on our IoT uh, solutions as, as we roll them out. So we're doing a lot on cloud migration, which does play a role in 5G. Doesn't make a lot of sense to, to do 5G and then backhaul it all back to a traditional data center. So, so we're looking at options for how we can spread out our applications, how we can migrate to the cloud faster, and, and data. Yeah, you know, it's all an access to data from the operators. So we're doing a lot of work on data management, data access, uh, modern databases, uh, and solutioning around that to deliver all this data across the 5G networks back to the operators. Uh, so I, I think we have a lot of things in the hopper, so to say, uh, and I think really 21 is when we're gonna really see a lot of movement at CBP uh, in 5G and Wi-Fi 6. Sounds like it, and there's a lot of uh, connectivity for, right from that officer all the way back into all the various devices, super mobile workforce you have there that has to be super connected at all times, including the redundancy that you described. Sam, how about over at GSA? I'm so happy that you all are on this show. Um, you know, uh, it, it's so important that we enable this capability across all the departments and agencies, and GSA is a big part of making that happen. Right, and just like 5G is an enabler of cross-cutting use cases across the spectrum, same thing as the Federal Acquisition Service, we're an enabler to access the technology across government. And so what we've been seeing is that progress in 5G min means different things to our different customers, right? CBP just illustrated what progress means for them. The Air Force and Marine Corps just illustrated what it means for them. So our 5G for government strategy is best visualized as a wheel comprised of six concepts. And we start from the technology, we continue on to the standard security policy use case and final part of that uh, concept is, our, is the acquisition. And we're looking to close the gaps for government adoption and come full circle to the acquisition by understanding where the gaps are for our agency partners, meeting those gaps, and then ensuring the right offerings are there to provide the service for their use cases. And so we've been connected to the national uh, strategy to secure 5G. 
with the NSC efforts to implement government-wide acquisition plans for adoption of 5G, which ensures facilitating domestic 5G rollout, uh, asset, asset risk, and identifying core security principles of 5G infrastructure, address risk uh, to the United States economic and national security, promote responsible and global development of, of uh, 5G development uh, across government. And so we've been working with entities such as not only the NSC, but the Federal Mobility Group, which has 42 agencies today participating. Uh, Frank helped us with the first 5G working group actually uh, back last year to start talking about what are the challenges that we're seeing across the board? How can we expedite adoption so that we can increase efficiencies across the government um, here in the short term and then looking in the long term, how can we enable those more um, modern use cases which would require other emerging technology concepts embedded into the network than just a faster, uh, quicker latency and, 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 and a more robust network. Much more significant than uh, those things you're describing there, which is so important and you, you make some very good points that it's just not about speeds and feeds, right? It's about the whole ecosystem, including some of the security around it and how it does secure the environment. Really glad to see GSA taking on that. And thank you, Frank, for leading the charge there. I know that's tough to bring all those folks together and, and really uh, focus on this uh, activity. All right, how about over at uh, Comscope? Uh, first of all, tell us what Comscope is, and then tell us uh, what you all are doing, what you're seeing in regards to 5G across the federal service. Absolutely. Well, Comscope is a uh, radio um, network uh, equipment supplier. Uh, we are one of the few, if, if only in the United States, that are truly a, a, a system original uh, equipment manufacturer. Um, we've historically played in spaces in, in the physical layer, so supplying uh, the cabling, the antennas, and these sorts of things for, for networks. But uh, in more recent times, the past 10 years, we've moved into other spaces. We're actually doing the radio equipment itself. So we develop and design base stations and whole networks um, from the uh, remote unit to the, the distributed unit, to the central unit for, for 4G and 5G networks. Um, and we, we, we also work really in the indoor space, uh, probably as our, our dominant uh, position, and that's uh, providing in-building coverage, whether it's in the form of small cells or in the form of uh, DAS equipment, which is distributed antenna equipment. Um, and what we do for, uh, for the federal government is a variety of things. We're an equipment supplier, not just on the 5G side of the world, but on 4G side of the world, but also uh, in the Wi-Fi space. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Wi-Fi 6, very interesting. Wi-Fi 6E, again, very interesting. We have product portfolios for, for these areas as well. What we try to do is provide uh, ubiquitous coverage to whatever facilities or, or campuses we are, uh, we are asked to, uh, to, to serve. Um, and, and allow um, effectively any device to connect anywhere, anytime in the most efficient method that it can. Um, so if that means bringing in commercial service uh, for, for various purposes, uh, commercial services brought in, if that means a private network, we, we uh, do private networks. I think for 5G specifically, it's, uh, it's kind of a unique time because we've spent the last four four or five decades connecting people, and now we're having to connect everything else. And that means we have to be uh, a lot more efficient in our area interface, using the spectrum more efficiently. And somebody spoke earlier about new spectrum that's coming out. So uh, 
the CBRS spectrum, which is shared between the military and the uh, and uh, the private sector, is is now um, uh, being auctioned. And in fact, we uh, provide um, software solutions to help manage that between the government and um, and and other networks, and also the equipment that then runs on these networks. All in all, I guess. Uh, uh, providing this at a, at a not just cost effective, but a easy to install, easy to maintain uh, solutions so that it can grow and change and migrate as the needs change, as the use cases change from, from today being human centric to tomorrow being um, uh, computer or, or IoT centric to some of the virtual reality and virtual augmentation um, type of uh, um, uh, applications that are necessary. Um, to help uh, drive remote drones or, or remote things that, that require really low latency and really reliable services are all things that, that Comscope helps with. Morgan, glad to see that Comscope's really in the thick of things. Randall, how about over at Verizon? You all are right smack in the middle of 5G. We're hearing all about it. Tell us about what's happening in regards to 5G with the Department of Defense, et cetera. Yeah, Luke, I got to tell you, I, I don't know what else there is to say, Mr. K and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Newell, and I know we're working with Mr. Costello as well in uh, connecting all of these devices and enabling their mission. I mean, that is our complete job is we, we look at uh, delivering for the United States Department of Defense so they can complete their mission. You know, we have a little a different strategy than our competition when it comes to 5G. You know, when we say 5G, we mean 5G. We're going to deliver upon it on an ultra-wideband perspective that is going to deliver those ultra-low latencies, as Morgan was just speaking about, and the extremely high available bandwidth. And that's going to enable all of the things that Lieutenant Colonel Newell was talking about and Mr. K as well, as, as well as the sensors that Mr. Costello is referring to. So that, that's our focus. We're going to continue to put there put our money there, invest there um, in a whole ecosystem, whether it's from the network to the applications to all of the uh, hardware providers around it as well. Well, we're glad to see that the major carriers are, are um, uh, putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and, <laughs> and investing significant amounts of money into building out this backbone so that uh, we can enable all these very important missions that we're describing here. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. 5G promises to change our world. Its transformative effects will enable a new ultra-connected economy, increasing productivity and spurring innovation. Those nations that master 5G will not only have a long-term economic advantage, but also a military one. For 5G technology will help transform the way our military operates, protecting U.S. economic leadership and the national security of the American people, her allies, and partners. Visit Spirant.com, your partner in making 5G work. From a simple switch to 5G connectivity, solving federal networking challenges has never been easier with Comscope. We understand federal networks demand agility, reliability, and security to protect and serve our citizens. Whether the connection is wired, Wi-Fi, cellular, or all three at once, Comscope pushes what's possible, delivering superior network performance in any environment. Go to comscope.com federal to learn how our innovations help you achieve your mission. 
Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. ...into a lot of examples of some fantastic capability that uh, 5G is enabling. And let's bring it over to Stephen over at Spirant and tell us about what Spirant is and how do you all fit into this ecosystem and how you're enabling 5G for this, these very important missions. Absolutely, Luke. Um, Sparent Communications, we're, we're a leading global provider of the testing and assurance solutions for the communication industry. And we've been at the forefront of 5G from its earliest days of inception. Uh, today, we're engaged with over 150 customers and networks uh, worldwide right across that ecosystem. Um, where we've been focusing is really on providing the industry with, uh, I would say, cutting edge network emulators or simulators uh, which replicate the 5G network. Uh, and this allows them to accelerate their research. The, the other side that we focus on is really traffic generators and uh, automation technologies, which is really used to stimulate the testing and accelerate the launch of uh, 5G solutions and networks worldwide. And I did mention we have you know, over 150 plus engagements today, and this is ranging from the radio equipment and handset manufacturers who are developing the new antenna systems to utilize the new radio frequencies, whether they're in the uh, mid to low bands or the new millimeter wave ranges, right through to the network equipment manufacturers today who are developing the new cloud hosted uh, and virtualized core networks, which are going to transform how our networks are going to actually differentiate uh, and offer secure services. Uh, and we're working closely with the carrier community uh, who are rolling out 5G at the moment that need the support and safely turning up the new cell sites and making sure they actually are going to deliver on some of these performance uh, requirements. Now, from a, I suppose, a defense and military perspective, we've been also working heavily on major uh, research initiatives uh, with uh, the defense sector and also with the space sector at the moment. Um, and in these engagements, we're providing software emulated replicas of the 5G network called digital twins. Uh, and these digital twins provide a flexible environment to basically prototype and war game the future of what a 5G network could deliver. And it's pretty exciting stuff, as, as we've heard from the distinguished panel uh, earlier on. You know, we're, we're researching areas that are probably far ahead of the commercial sector. Uh, with the defense sector, it's things like augmented reality for enhanced training of our soldiers, uh, combat telemedicine using augmented reality, uh, connected autonomous vehicles, not just on the ground, but in aerial environments as well. So it's pretty exciting stuff where the future of 5G and, and, and the defense sector is going. And I would say today it, it's cutting edge. It, uh, it sounds super impressive. I've never heard the term digital twins. That's very impressive. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you all are, are doing some very advanced capabilities enabling this technology. Uh, well, we always like to talk about specific programs. I'm gonna throw it up to you, Lieutenant Colonel, and uh, ask you uh, to give us an example. You talked about the, uh, the 5G Living Labs and the, uh, the digital futures 
Uh, tell us about a specific program that you guys are rolling out. Maybe it's in prototype pilot, maybe you've already implemented it uh, that you'd like to highlight. As I mentioned, three weeks ago, we turned on the 5G Living Lab and that we work in collaboration with Verizon. Um, it's not just about cellular coverage. While that's great, that's a secondary benefit. It's really about um, the connectivity provided for so many capabilities across the base. Um, so we currently have uh, autonomous shuttles um, on the base that are, are ready to pilot, where we're gonna do data export of the terabytes of data that are collected from these sensors on the vehicle throughout the day. Um, we're doing energy communications where we're gonna extend a point of presence of a closed network to another location on a base um, for a solar field so that we can have logical control over the solar fields. It's, a, it's really about using telecommunications and cellular connectivity uh, as a transport mechanism across the base. Um, we're doing drones, you know, the future of drones is it goes away from RF signals and goes into cellular control. And so we're, we're piloting that as well. And finally, the Digital Fortress, um, Robert Costello is on the, on the call here from Customs and Border Protection. We have a great partnership or, or relationship with CBP, where we have a memorandum of understanding to work on security efforts together. As he mentioned earlier, surveillance towers uh, that are leveraging 4G LTE on on the uh, border today. We have and learned through our relationship with CBP about that capability, and we've been rolling out that same capability on military bases in the region. Um, so in our 5G living lab, we're actually doing uh, these surveillance towers that are sensor suite. Uh, they leverage artificial intelligence in the form of machine learning and computer vision. They do computing on the edge um, so that you can really reduce the bandwidth requirements that you have but at the devices um, so that you can leverage cellular technology uh, device to device and then back into the cloud. So we're very excited about these capabilities. Um, they're lined up uh, for Miramar here in San Diego uh, to pilot. We have, we have many of them on the base already and are ready to turn on. Uh, finally, I'd like to say uh, thank you to Congress. Congress in 2020 appropriations bill um, provided $5 million for this piloting. You know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the carriers and specifically for us, Verizon has leaned in to this collaboration, this collaborative partnership, we call it a, a collaborative market. Uh, they've leaned in and at no cost of the government have provided the network that's coming on the base. The $5 million from Congress is not about the network being installed. It's about the pilots to really unlock the power of the cellular you know, transformation on the bases. And so we're, we're piloting in those four areas and uh, the funds from Congress is critical to that endeavor. Uh, well, I'll tell you, it warms my heart to see the teaming going on between CBP and, and, and the Navy. And it sounds like Naval X arrived on the scene at right the uh, perfect timing to start to enable this very important capability. These, these, uh, these vehicles, these drones, et cetera, they're, they're like flying and rolling data centers at this point, right? I mean, it's just incredible. And this, this uh, type of technology uh, needs to be in place uh, on a wide scale to enable that capability. Morgan, let's roll it over to you at Comscope. Uh, give us a specific example, perhaps that you're working with in one of the agencies that uh, would be of interest to our listening audience. Well, I think uh, I'm gonna go to a VA hospital that we're working with actually. Um, 
enabling coverage inside of the, the hospital itself. And in the age of COVID, this is so critical that uh, the communications be, be uh, um, better than it ever has been before, not just for the people that are working in the hospital, but also for the people who are actually in the hospital and might be in, in desperate need while being so isolated. And we've been providing, um, providing uh, the, the basic coverage for, for cellular systems throughout the hospital in a more cost-effective and um, I'll call it easier to install um, way than, than ever before. This is particularly critical because hospitals are quite full right now. And, uh, and so the amount of time you have to do installations and bring these sorts of things up is, is really minimized. And we think this is just uh, uh, the tip of the iceberg in, term, in terms of enabling um, these high, um, high need areas for, for uh, basic cellular coverage, 5G coverage, and then bringing on lots and lots of devices. Fantastic, a lot of capability there and great examples. Frank, let me uh, ask you, you gave us a, uh, a, a touched on a lot of great examples of things that are going on at the Air Force. Can you s pick one and, and just uh, kind of tell us how that's really enabling that particular capability to happen? I, I pick a little bit different than that, but I'll show you something, I'll tell you something else. I mean, we normally would have the bases ready to go now, but they're not there because of COVID. But let's take a particular thing. Let's talk about IoT sensors and things. Now, we're doing some small business innovation uh, projects right now where they're actually fielding sensors to steam traps, which is kind of a stupid thing, but steam traps are all over the place on the basis right now. And it can save millions of dollars by actually monitoring that IoT capability. And this is a new one because they don't need any energy. They get the energy off of the actual heat from the steam trap itself, as well as uh, vibrations from motors because they're doing motor health as well. But you have to understand, this is all part of the plan is to have IoT sensors in a private 5G network. And they'll include the sensors that we're actually getting off of the aircraft as well. That we're trying to do as, you know, part of the experiment we have at Hickam right now is how much, how much information can we pull off all the aircraft that's coming in and actually use that in a closed 5G network to do analysis. And the analysis is going to be at the, it's at the edge. As, as we talked about, it's, everything has to be at the edge because you can't, because actually two things, you can't transmit all this information someplace else because they'll bog down the network, but the people who need it are at the edge. And so if you look at the viewpoint of what we're trying to do is we're trying to develop sensor, authenticated sensor capabilities. So we know it's real, we know who it's coming from and actually making data decisions at the edge with AI and ML capabilities for not only the aircraft maintenance, but also for the maintenance of the entire base. And that's what we're trying to get to very quickly. And we're trying to do the basics for the authentication of those sensors right now. It's really impressive, you know, because all of a sudden you can just instrument almost anything and you've gave some great examples there. And then you can use this technology, sort of pull it together and, uh, and, and make great use of it, whether it's maintenance or, or, uh, or, or anything else in regards to that ecosystem. Uh, Randall, let's go over to you at Verizon. I know you probably have a lot of examples. We've talked about a couple already. Give us a specific program that you're working on that you'd like to highlight for the, uh, for the listening audience. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Obviously, we're working uh, with the Marine Corps and the Air Force. I don't want to leave the Army out in this whole uh, border deal here. So we're doing a lot with the healthcare community, with the U.S. Army and with the Navy. Um, we're working in partnership with other large corporations to pull together solutions that you can have for a deployable hospital, no matter where it is, whether it's in the United States or globally. Um, those things are critical. We've seen this come around very quickly with COVID-19 
and uh, setting up pop-up clinics across the country, as well as um, setting up, let's say, some housing areas in the middle of the desert for folks returning from duty as well, and making sure that uh, we're protecting them as they return to the U.S. Really important, uh, all of those examples. And again, just one after the other after the other. It's, it's really impressive to hear this. Uh, Robert, how about at uh, CBP, you, know, you, you talked about, you know, the sort of setting this table for this sort of mesh wire fabric, as I like to call it there. Uh, give us an example of a specific area that you're just going big on right now. Like sure, and, and I think uh, Colonel Newell uh, brought up some good points there. So it's, it's all about partnerships right now uh, across the federal government. And, and we're doing some really great work there. I think one of the, our, our big applications that's really gonna benefit from 5G is the team awareness kit that was originally developed out of the Air Force Research Lab. Uh, and, and now we're deploying it to the US Border Patrol uh, Air Marine Operations and Office of Field Operations. It's, it's essentially a, a blue force, red force uh, tracking system, as well as giving sensor feeds and video feeds directly to the operators on their mobile platforms. So now we have to ingest a lot of data and that could be coming from a lot of different platforms. It could be coming from radar systems. It could be coming from uh, aerial drones. It could be coming from uh, you know, some of the, the predator flights that, that we still fly. So we need to ingest all that data and we heard a lot of good points here. You know, doing that processing on the edge where we can and then backhauling the data uh, back to some of our op centers or, or applications that need it. Uh, you know, the operators are at the edge. Uh, some of the other systems are in watch centers or in the uh, Air Marine Operations Center out in Riverside. So, so we have to get the critical data back there. So we think 5G is really gonna be a, a game changer there. Uh, some of the other areas that, that we're doing a lot of work on is, is again on surveillance systems, uh, whether it's on the, the border or within our own facilities as well. We, you know, we have over 20,000 cameras deployed, uh, sometimes, many of them inside our facilities for safety. Uh, so we think that 5G will be a, another game changer there. Um, so I, I think really the, the big project that we're really gonna see it on is that team awareness kit that's been deployed uh, with a great partnership with the US Border Patrol, uh, as well as our commissioner's office and innovation team that's really gonna drive uh, information down to the operators on their belt in real time. And, and you can't do that over the legacy networks. Uh, and you can't ingest the amount of data that you need to over the, the legacy cellular systems. So, so I really feel that's going to be the one project that, that's really a game changer uh, across the board. And, and it's a huge safety uh, increase as well for our operators if they can know what's going on around them, uh, if they can get intelligence uh, about operations, you know, directly in real time. Uh, if the, the people back at, at headquarters can see what's going on. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a game changer for CBP, as well as interoperability and safety. I mean, because that's something else that we have to do too. How can we share information, whether it's with ICE, whether it's with our, our other partners in DHS, our civil authorities, uh, you know, state and locals, uh, as well as where DOD, where it's appropriate. Right. Safety and productivity, both of those come into play. And you certainly have an incredibly mobile workforce there that's widespread and needs this kind of capability, sort of right on their hip, if you will. Uh, Stephen, how about over at uh, Spirant? Uh, can you give us an example of a specific program that you'd like to highlight? Uh, absolutely. I, I mentioned earlier something called the 5G Digital Twin, which is an emulated replica of the physical 5G networks, which are used as a flexible, repeatable testbed or even a cyber range for 5G security testing. 
and great work that we're doing with a consortium of government, academia and the automotive uh, sector around autonomous vehicles. Uh, this digital twin is being used to help accelerate research around how 5G connectivity will enable those connected vehicles to not only help reduce accidents and save lives, but also around transport efficiencies and also how to make them more secure in case they come under potential uh, threat or, or attack from, a, uh, from an outside source. Now, obviously, the big challenge today is with testing on real roads for commercial vehicles or even with military vehicles in engagement environments is, is extremely limited. There is an associated risk potential. And, and to be honest, you know, 5G networks are not yet universally available to get access to. So there was a clear need to be able to replicate not only the 5G network, but also the complex driving scenarios, the changing environmental conditions, unexpected events, whether it's in the commercial sector, like a pedestrian walking in front of the vehicle, whether it was in a military engagement environment, whether it was a soldier who was walking again, potentially in front of this autonomous vehicle, in a sort of a safe and repeatable environment. And we've built with this consortium, the, the, this combined digital twin environment with an advanced driving simulator to allow you to replicate both the real driving environments and their 5G network, and it's under your complete control. Now, the ambition here obviously is to not only reduce the amount of time and miles that you have to drive or test in physical real environments, but also to test all of those real complex what-if scenarios which are difficult to do. And, and I mentioned security, you know, uh, it, it's difficult on, on, on an operational network to, to actually, you know, war game it, to be destructive on it. But in a digital twin replicant environment, you can do those types of testing and you can really understand where the risks are, but also where the mitigation opportunities are. Because I think this is one of the powerful things that 5G sometimes gets overlooked. The network's capabilities itself are a great means of future defense. Its ability to adapt, its ability to set up network slices and that could become future quarantines is just huge opportunity. In fact, the baseline of defense in 5G could be the network itself and how it actually adopts and behaves. Sure, sure. I mean, the, uh, uh, the, uh, it's the ultimate smart network, right? Sam, how about over at GSA? You know, uh, in order to pull all this together, you have to be able to enable it, you have to be able to procure it, et cetera. Give us an example of where you're seeing some real progress in this area. Right. So as a facilitator, we support government at a, every level. So not just at the federal level, but state and local as well. Mm. And cities in the world we live today have a lot on their plate, right? They're responsible for the first responder capabilities that were, are within their footprint. On top of that, they have to deal with education, transportation, you name it. And so we've been working very closely with various cities, but one in particular that's really uh, paid dividends, I think, across the board has been working with the city of Las Vegas. They've deployed a full-on CBRS network across the city, which has enabled students that have, that have now been learning from home to log into their virtual classrooms and provided access to students who are on the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder and may not have access to, uh, to, to the internet for financial reasons. And then they've layered on other capabilities to that network, which have really truly been state-of-the-art, uh, where they've also enable uh, cross-communication between their various uh, departments, uh, between the first responder community and, and um, other, and transportation, et cetera. They've also been able to add smart interfaces into the network so that first responders don't have to go to an area 
if uh, there, there's no traffic in that area, things of that nature, they can change their their patrolling uh, routines depending on areas that people are populating and other areas where people are kind of st avoiding staying away from. So what we've done is we've not only made these capabilities available for the city of Las Vegas, but these offerings are available now cross government for state and, local, uh, and federal uh, entities as well on EIS contract, on our multiple award schedules contract with great pricing that they could leverage to gain efficiencies on the pricing and also access the, net, the, the, the technology uh, rapidly. Fantastic uh, example of being able to enable, uh, quite frankly, what sounded like a smart city to me. So uh, that, that's outstanding. Um, we're going to take another short break and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Our soldiers in the theaters of engagement will always be connected. Intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance systems will deliver new levels of precision and accuracy. Command and control will benefit from unprecedented insights and responsiveness. Warfighters will be empowered with data-rich decision-making at the tactical edge. Our national security protected. These are just some of the promises 5G aims to enable. Visit Spirant.com, your partner in making 5G work. From a simple switch to 5G connectivity, solving federal networking challenges has never been easier with ComScope. We understand federal networks demand agility, reliability, and security to protect and serve our citizens. Whether the connection is wired, Wi-Fi, cellular, or all three at once, ComScope pushes what's possible, delivering superior network performance in any environment. Go to comscope.com federal to learn how our innovations help you achieve your mission. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about 5G. Uh, we've uh, heard about a lot of different programs that are going on across the board. I want to jump into priorities. And Frank, let's start with you. Can you give us sir, your, your top two priorities? I know you have a lot of them. Top two priorities for the uh, upcoming year. Oh, there's lots of them, yeah. Uh, I think that first is going to be finish the fielding for each of the bases if we can based on COVID and actually then use that capability that we have for the bases, take the results of the experiments that we're trying to do, especially for the flight line of the future for the aircraft maintenance and the ARVR and put that into production at the bases. I think that's, that's the way we want to go as fast as we can because we want to be able to say we got results from the experiments. They're now part of programs records and we're actually using them as fast as we can on the bases where they actually have to be done. Fantastic, Lieutenant Colonel, top two priorities for Naval X. Well, obviously over this next year, I mentioned a number of pilots that we're doing in four different areas. We're, we're gonna push all of those out um, over this year. And it's really about learning, um, understanding the state of the art of technology, but also the concepts of employment. I've mentioned a lot about installations, but this is not about installations alone. This is about capabilities that we're gonna to need to bring forward um, onto the future battlefield. 
Um, second priority, you know, remains to expand our current network. Um, I mentioned we turned on the first 5G small cells on the base, but uh, we actually have 25 more, a mix of 25 more 4G and 5G small cells. And Verizon was on the, in the unenviable place of, of asking, okay, what do you need? And I say, well, we need it all, but we're not quite sure yet what. And so that's where the collaborative partnership comes in. As they looked at our future needs, which is you know, aspirational and not prescriptive, and trying to position themselves just like they're having to do with cities across the country. Um, sure. So you're seeing a mix of the, our 4G LTE coverage and 26 different small cells being installed on the base. A lot of activity going on at Naval X. Robert Costello, top two priorities in the upcoming year. It sounds like you all are setting the table for a lot of activity. Yeah, I, I think so, Luke, and I, I totally agree with uh, what everyone said. I mean, my number one priority is always, you know, deliver safe and effective uh, solutions for the operators. So I think as we roll out these solutions, it has to be a, as we move it to production, we know how to operate it, we know how to maintain it, we know how to secure it. So there's going to be a big training opportunity uh, for, for, you know, my teams as well as in the application development teams that I oversee. Uh, so, so my number one priority is deliver effective solutions for the operators. I think our other um, areas are going to be how do we life cycle how do we get our, our devices up to 5G where it makes sense? Uh, how are we doing testing it is going to be really key because I don't want to deploy something that doesn't have, yet, you know, really good, um, it, you know, it goes from 5G to 4G to Wi-Fi really smoothly. We got to make sure that, that, that that's all part of it. So, so testing and then deep and strong relationships with our operators. We cannot deliver IT solutions without them and they need to be part of it. So, so my, my number one priority is, am I delivering solutions that work for Border Patrol, Office of Field Operations, Air, Air Marine Operations? So, so those are kind of my priorities. So I think we're gonna have training priorities uh, within the, the Office of Information Technology, as well as how we're refreshing. We got a lot of 4G and 3G devices out there. What's my game plan to, to get up to 5G in the markets where it makes sense that, that we have good coverage? And, and where should I concentrate that on in 21? I think our devices, the, oh, sorry, sir. No, please. Uh, yeah, it sounds like, you know, really focusing on uh, meeting the operators where they are yes, at sir. this point. All right, Sam, how about a GSA? Top priority for GSA going forward. Yeah, top priority for GSA is facilitating the adoption of the technology, right? You can't argue with the easy button. So for us, it's continuing to address the gaps, particularly in policy, making sure that agencies don't have to worry about the policy aspect. Are we reading the right trade agreements? You know, is the supply chain policies in, in line when I buy the technology? And then secondly, making sure that they don't have to worry about, is it secure, right? And then last but not least, we wanna make sure that we have the right vendor mix so that we're, we're partnering with industry, so we have the best folks from industry uh, available for government to access the technology. I really applaud the, uh, the leadership that GSA has uh, on uh, you know, helping to implement this capability. Well, we always like to wrap up with uh, sort of painting a picture, a picture of the future, and we have uh, a few moments left. Uh, we're gonna start with you, Stephen, over at uh, uh, Spirant, and give us, a, 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 you know, tell us about a vision of the future. What does it look like in a couple of years? And in just a couple of minutes here, uh, Tell us what we can uh, look forward to. Yeah, there's two, two areas that are really exciting me now, and they've actually started already, but we'll see them sort of come into fruition in the next few years. 
So one is space communication and non-terrestrial networks, and the other is uh, human-machine interaction with uh, haptic or tactile communications. Now, if you look at space today, we're already starting a new space race with the initial deployments of something called low Earth orbit mega constellations from players like Amazon and SpaceX. Now these new non-terrestrial networks, they're aiming to deliver ubiquitous global coverage of 5G, sort of reaching the most remote areas of our planet. And the potential they have for both commercial and military application is absolutely immense and really interesting because they could also lay a foundation for future space communications to actually connect spacecraft en route towards potentially the moon or, the, or Mars in the future. And this is all starting today. Uh, we're gonna see this, some of the standardized in the next, uh, in the 3GPP releases of the 5G standards in a few years time. The second area that really excites me, and it's early work being done in research at the moment, but I think we'll see in the next few years is, is early haptic or tactile communications. And this is where 5G, uh, the capability of delivering really ultra low uh, and reliable latency communication, you know, getting round trips down really into sub-second, millisecond ranges. Now, this creates this potential for being able to deliver physically tactile experiences remotely. So in other words, a sense of touch could be transported to other locations in real time. Now, the appliance of this could be absolutely game-changing from remote medical treatments on the battlefield, you know, new immersive training environments for our soldiers, and even new ways to communicate and navigate using uh, haptics. So maybe with these two near-future capabilities, we won't actually have to be on the moon to actually touch and feel the moon. That's pretty cool to me. Sounds impressive. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, Randall, how about over at Verizon? What can we expect in the next couple of years out of Verizon as you're implementing this ecosystem? Yeah, uh, our expectation is we continue to deliver for like Mr. K and Lieutenant Colonel Newell in all of the services as we uh, expand the 5G network. Uh, we're in 35 cities today. We're going to continue to expand that and be in more than 60 by the end of the year. We also have our ultra wideband home network that we're expanding. Um, as I mentioned uh, on a break there, we're going to have more than 20 new 5G devices. And this is all operating on the ultra-wideband network in the millimeter wave spectrum. So it's delivering on the promise of 5G and the ultra-low-band latency uh, round trips that uh, you just heard Stephen mention as well. So it's critical that we deliver so Mr. K and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Newell can deliver on their mission. Couldn't agree with you more there. Morgan, how about over at Comscope? What can we expect to see in the next couple of years? Yeah, so um, I think it's been said fairly well. Uh, ubiquity is number one of, of, of 5G and then really uh, blowing the, uh, the high reliability, low latency pr promise out, um, whether it's something like uh, tactile or whether it's just really the promise of, of AI um, or of uh, virtual reality or virtual augmentation. Um, and, and being able to experience things in ways that they haven't been able to be experienced before. I look at uh, the medical situation that we are today and having a virtual doctor, but not just having a virtual doctor over a screen, but potentially having a physical rendering of it on, uh, on the type of holopad would be, uh, would be where I see this technology enabling, uh, enabling this type of technology to be used. And that could be for military applications, for healthcare applications, for teaching applications. Um, it's just, uh, it's an enabler, low latency, high reliability for, for all the things that we'll need for tomorrow. 
Right. A lot of these things being described, you know, almost sounded like a sci-fi movie at one point, but we realize now with this technology, you can actually do this. I always say that science fiction is, is, is just reality, but a little bit ahead of time. There you go. Sam, how about at GSA? It sounds like you're right in the thick of it. You're really leading the charge there. What can we expect in a couple of years as uh, GSA helps to lay out this ecosystem? Yeah, and I think my counterparts have taken a great spin on the technological aspect. And I like the assessment of like being on the moon without being on the moon. That's, I think that's incredible. I'm going to take a market and a business analysis uh, spin to this, which is, you know, we got to understand that the global IT market is $4 trillion, right? And the federal spend within that is only 2% of that, right? So federal influence on a larger, huge ecosystem market is minimal. And so how do we reach efficiencies and still modernize at the same time and take advantage of the ubiquity of the future network as was just alluded to, right? Um, and I think it's really moving to uh, one network for government and industry and being able to move to concepts such as zero trust and being able to tie ourselves away from traditional networks where we own the infrastructure, where we own all of the hardware and components on the network to really move into one where we take advantage of what's a bridge, what is commercially available to do what the taxpayer is asking the government to do. So really focusing on dual use concepts, how can we use what's commercially available to be more efficient and more effective at what government does. And those two dimensions are, are, are closer than they've ever been. And it's, it's really uh, a pleasure to see that happen. Uh, Robert, if I'm a, uh, an officer coming out of the academy <laughs> in two years, uh, you know, and I'm getting issued all my devices, my firearm and my, all my uh, computing devices, you know, what's your vision of what that's gonna look like in two to three years? Sure, uh, well, it's always hard to predict uh, exactly what it's gonna look like. I, I think one of the things that, that, that will be there um, is, you, you know, we'll be issuing probably mobile devices to everyone as they come out of the academy in, in two or three years. I mean, it, it's what our, our officers and agents expect as, as they're coming through now. You know, we're definitely seeing that, that, that change. I think the other big thing that, that we're going to be seeing is a, a kind of change to the operating space. I, I think, um, you know, they're going to be able to, to be out in the field or, or out on patrol and have a lot more information than, than they do right now. Uh, I think the other thing that you're going to see, too, is an increase in uh, citizen and traveler services. So when you disembark from the aircraft, you're going to be able to essentially, you know, process as you walk down the jetway. You're going to present to an officer and they're going to be able to verify who you are and, and, and you know, do all the vetting right there, you know, rather than walking up to a booth and, and going through the whole process there. So I, I think citizen... Uh, services, uh, foreign traveler services, as well as the trade community that CBP wor works with. I think we're going to see an explosion in the trade space, uh, you know, being able to verify a container, what's inside the container. Uh, is the container locked, you know, an IoT device now so we can verify that that container wasn't opened from the overseas shipping terminal to the, to the U.S. terminal where that container disembarks. So I think there's going to be a, a really big change in how CBP does operations due to 5G and IoT uh, being available, including in our trade and travel space, which, which as you know, is a, is a huge aspect of what CBP does. Just unlock a whole nother type of capability where everyone in the traveling public and who's ever transporting cargo is certainly gonna enjoy that. 
Lieutenant Colonel, uh, what can we expect to see um, out of Naval X? Uh, what can the sailor expect to see in two to three years as you're enabling all this fantastic capability? Yeah, so I want you to picture um, unmanned logistics systems. I want you to picture Uber and Amazon doing dr drone delivery. I want you to picture UPS and FedEx doing ground delivery um, unmanned. Just two weeks ago in a different program that's related, we showed that type of capability in a teaming mechanism. So we had a ground vehicle that was out delivering assets um, autonomously. We had one drone take off and do the scanning from above, adding to the scanning that the vehicle itself was doing for its own mapping. We had a second drone take off and deliver a battery to a fire team in a secondary location. All of that teaming of three different unmanned assets was all in a closed 4G LTE network. That's a mobile network out of a company that was a, a spin out of Qualcomm called Moto AI. Now I have the benefit of Qualcomm being right outside the gate here. Um, so we've learned a lot through our collaborative relationship with Qualcomm in addition to Verizon. And so through other agencies, through other uh, programs, we're untapping, you know, we're unlocking the future in many, many areas. And you're seeing that cellular is not just about your phone, um, but it's really going to enable many capabilities, both in the States and on, on the future, you know, deployments. Especially data transmission, video transmission on the highest order. It's just incredible, the examples that you all are giving. Frank, what can we expect a, uh, an airman to, uh, uh, to, 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 to sort of embrace and enjoy and, and, and be aware of uh, in the next two or three years? Yeah, I'm going to be a little broader than that. I think you're going to see, you know, more sophisticated edge devices. And we all talk about them. Drones are sophisticated edge devices. We have those too, and they're AI ML based. But I think you're going to see an explosion in these edge devices. For instance, you know, you're supposed to use AR, VR. Well, I think you're going to see them in glasses because enough computational power is there without having any lenses associated with just regular glasses as opposed to anything else. We will have the tactile and have everything else associated with it. And I think that's the explosion that we're going to see. We're going to see now that we have the capability and the power to have that processing capability localized to ourselves. So your phone, your glasses, your Fitbit, anything else that's associated with you, your face, your recognition that you need at the border, everything, all those edge devices are going to be more sophisticated than we've ever seen before. And they're going to support the mission of, you know, the Air Force and everybody else, as well as the United States as we go forward. It really is incredible, the examples that are being uh, described here, uh, both happening today and uh, that are right around the corner. And I, I want to thank all of you uh, for uh, uh, taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us on today's program. I'd like to thank all of our sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.